Hello, and welcome to the Driveline Podcast. My name is Trevor Johnson, and I will be your host for today's episode. This podcast is brought to you by the South Dakota Auto Dealers and the South Dakota Trucking Association. In this episode, we talk to Travis Vesley. He is the SDADA board president, and he is also the general manager at Courtesy Subaru in Rapid City. Travis has been very involved in the association, as well as very involved in the community in Rapid City. I knew everything about Courtesy Subaru growing up, just from ads and all their marketing campaigns. So we got to talk to Travis a little bit about how they do their marketing. We also talked a lot about electric vehicles, the future of the auto industry, and his experiences growing up because he has been a part of the Courtesy Subaru dealership since he was 12 years old. This is a great conversation and a great story, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's get right into it. Uh, my name is Travis Vesley. I'm the current chairman of South Dakota Auto Dealers Association. I'm also the general manager of Courtesy Subaru in Rapid City. Uh, my family's owned the dealership since 1968. We've been a Subaru dealer since 1975, so we've definitely been around um, the auto industry. I've been around the auto industry my whole life, um, and we've, we've definitely been in it for a long time. Awesome. Yeah, well, that kind of rolls into my first kind of question here and first topic. So like, how did you get into the industry and then why do you kind of stay in the industry? Um, I got in the industry just because it was, it was my first job when I was 12. I started working at the dealership filing paperwork um, because I was not allowed to drive the cars yet, obviously. Um, and actually, I talked with my, my kids. I've got a 12-year-old daughter and she's like, oh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what I'm going to be. Um, I'm like, you don't have to decide now. You don't have to decide for a long time. But then I was thinking back to when I was 12. I knew exactly what I was going to do. It was always going to be, I was going to work at the dealership in some capacity, um, a car dealership kid. I, I love cars. Yeah. And so it just made sense that that's where I was going to end up. So that was kind of always the, the, um, the, the end, the end where I was going to end up. Um, I went to college in uh, Boise, Idaho at Boise state. And um, okay. I, I worked a little bit there. And then in 2008, when the whole economy and housing market there crashed, it was like, well, I guess it's time to do something else. Um, the job market there was flooded with engineers just looking for anything um, yeah. so they could pay their mortgage. So it, uh, finding a job right at when I graduated from college was not going to happen um, to kind of what I wanted to do. So I decided to move back What'd and you... start working at the dealership again. What did you uh, go to school for? Uh, I just general business um, okay. with entrepreneur, like an entrepreneurship focus. Right. Yeah. So what kind of keeps you in the industry? Um, I like, I really like cars. And yeah. uh, I think if you boil it down to a, a lot of stuff in the industry gets, it, it gets very complicated, but it, it all comes down right. to, I just like buying and selling cars. I like fixing cars. I mean, I, I mean, I like, I like having a shop fix cars, um, yeah. but I, I like buying and selling cars. I, I, everything about, you know, you know, I just, I've, I've been car obsessed since I was a kid. Like a lot of kids are, I just never grew right. out of it. Um, there's always new challenges. It's, it's, it's a fun industry to be in. And, um, you know, it, it, so what have been like the biggest transitions that you've seen, um, through that time? Cause you've obviously been in it since we were a little kid. So you've yeah, seen the dealership so, grow. So for me, I, I started as the general manager in 2016. And so since yeah. then the biggest, the biggest transition was obviously COVID and what that did to everyone's business here. And the adjustments right. that, that we made, luckily in South Dakota, we didn't have to make that many adjustments. Everything, everything kind of flowed fairly normal. Um, but then the inventory challenges and just really changing the way we thought about selling new cars really changed. Right. Prior to that, when I first moved 
back and started working at the dealership, Cash for Clunkers was the other one that was a big, a big shift because that at the time was a fairly simple idea. Like, hey, you have you have this junky car that doesn't get good fuel economy. Let's let's trade it in. The government will pay, you know, guarantee you're going to get X amount, you know, thirty five or forty five hundred dollars for that for that car. That's probably not worth anything. Right. That's a pretty simple thing. But that that completely changed the industry forever as far as what what a cheap car actually is, because it removed all of those thousand and two thousand three thousand dollar cars from the market pretty much that were fairly reliable just maybe not nice right um, so that was a huge huge change and we still feel that yeah because it is kind of interesting because i have been looking in like the used car market and whatnot and there's it's kind of hard to find those lower end cars and i didn't quite know why so that makes sense actually yeah. that started so. with cash for clunkers and then through inflation the last three or four years you, everything's just more expensive and so it, it's it's more expensive for us as dealers to buy cars at auction because there aren't as many. Um, right. And so that, that really raises the value of every car in the market. And, and you just, you know, everything, everything goes up. And now I think right. that it's starting to play into the more macro factor of the way cars are made now, because sometimes they're so expensive to fix. In our shop, we have a 2006 or seven Subaru B9 Tribeca, which yep. It's not a proud car for Subaru. It's not something they're super amped about. It was kind of weird looking. It was, it, it has, it yeah. has its issues like a lot of cars, but what we're finding now is we've got one with a, with a problem with a gauge cluster, they think, but right. Subaru may not even have the tools to reprogram that gauge cluster. If we were to have to send it in, that car is not that old. I mean, 2006 is a pretty old car. You're, you're, we're getting close to 20 years. But if you right. look back in the early 2000s, a 20-year-old car, those were still on the road. I mean, you're talking mm -hmm. late late 90s or late 80s, early 90s cars. Those were still on the roads, fairly common and could still be fixed. Now we're going to run into the problem where their manufacturers aren't going to support these models that they've made forever because the technology is changing so fast and how much technology they're cramming into the cars. You're going to start to see, I think in the future, you're going to start to see cars that are completely obsolete because of a single electronic part that just can't be fixed. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird proposition. I mean, this car is not a, this car that that I'm referring to is not a super nice car, but right. Other than it has one electrical component that may not be able to be fixed, and there probably and there aren't any new ones out there. There may be a used part. It, it's yeah, basically a brick because of that. Yeah, I've kind a, of wondered that too because yeah, we're gonna run you, into that as yeah, far as, as you run into uh, like the technology stuff, like yeah you look at your phone, like your phone is basically outdated after max four or five years. Right. Right. So as we put more technology in cars back in the day, it was all mechanical and like well, you can fix a gear, but it's not as easy to fix the techn technological stuff. Yep. And it, with the, you know, the rise of all the manufacturers putting everything in that main screen in the middle of the dash, mm -hmm. that screen goes bad in 10 years. Is it going to be able to be repaired? Maybe. Is it going to be able to be replaced? Maybe. And that controls so many functions of the car. And, and with like thirty it, adapters. With, right with adapt. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be patches somewhere. It's going to. It, I don't. I don't know. And and then yeah, you know, that that bleeds into a lot of really, you know, present issues that the auto industry has. Like right to repair is a huge one. Uh -huh. Yep. With how advanced these systems are. You know, I, I see the I see the benefit like in the farming community where right to repair is a big deal because you want these farmers want to be able to fix their tractors and stuff themselves because they can do it quick. Right. They don't need this. They don't. You know, if they shouldn't need a specialized tool to fix something that they can fix themselves much faster than a 
than uh, than a mechanic can get to it possibly. Right. But on the car side, do with how much technology is in these cars and how the safety features that they have, do you want some dude in his garage fixing stuff? I mean, I, it's a, it's a, that's a tough one. That's a really that's a really hard piece of legislation that I think is going to be yeah. a big fight over the next few years. Well, it's uh, interesting for me. Start of it. It's interesting for me to see because I have a bunch of friends in like the tuner culture and in all of like that yep. modification stuff. And how, what does it do to like that car community when you come up with the right to repair stuff? Right. Like I just will be interested to see how that all works. Yeah. So for them, they're really for it because it gives them more access to the, you know, it's like, it's like when people used to jailbreak their iPhones and so they could add features right. that weren't included or, or whatever, right. get access to the, you know, the, the root drives of their phones to uh, to change things that Apple or whoever the manufacturer is didn't want you to necessarily have access to. But should right. you have access to that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It, that's a that's a really tough question. And I think the problem with right to repair bills is that they're trying to go all encompassing, encompass all consumables, all consumer purchase things. And, oh, and really? I think I think I think uh, having the right to alter your cell phone is a different deal than having the right to alter the base software of a car. I, I think those are yeah. different things because you're, you, I mean, one, one's a 5,000 pound missile that can go, you know, a hundred miles an hour if you want to. And yeah. one is a phone. And yeah, they're, right. just, they're different things. And I, I don't know, I, there's not, there's obviously not a, a magic fix to any of that. There's not a magic bill that's going to fix all of it. But man, that's right. a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of stuff there. Especially as you start moving towards more of the, self-driving or autonomous vehicles of that sort it's like careful none of them how much (laughs) access do we have yeah none of them drive themselves yeah well not here (laughs) no uh i I think uh tesla is getting in the hot water that they deserve to be in for calling it autopilot and saying that they can right because they sure they can but mm, that's a that's a slippery slope i think a lot of the major manufacturers do a really good job of saying like these are driver assist aids they're not it's not going to drive itself it might well, be hands-free the, but the waymo ones in arizona yeah. yeah and that's a whole different that's a whole those are self-driving which is they are crazy and and should i think the big question there is should they be allowed to essentially beta test that on public streets i think it's a little, right that's where know. it gets really they had, sketchy. One, they had one kill somebody all day Yes, a few years ago, Waymo did it. I think it was in Phoenix. Probably there was a, there was a there was somebody in the car, but the, they were not in control. They were in the passenger seat, and it ran down right. a bicyclist. I think is what it was. That was a that was a, that was I an did hear one. about that. It was a few yeah. years ago, and I, I don't I don't know what happened with I don't know where the whatever happened with that. But I mean, the, the self driving stuff is still around, driving around. Yeah. So, it- it'll be a big part of where we're going in the next probably 10 years, as far as like, we'll see a lot more of it, which yep. should be interesting as far as the technology goes. And I hope that it gets safer and better as, as we all do. Right. Um, but I'm interested to see how that will affect your guys' industry. Right. I think it could yep. be, it, it'll be interesting. I think the, the right now, the bigger concern with self-driving, I think is with the trucking industry and, yep. and the, you know, the model of, Hey, we don't need drivers necessarily. And I, no, you might not need a driver to move this load from A to B. Right. But you do need drivers because those are, I mean, that's, I, I can't remember the demographic, but men between the ages of 18 and 49, I think that's the most common occupation. So if you start eliminating that oh. job yeah. nationwide, you're eliminating 
people's ability to buy the goods and services that are on the trucks. So yeah, exactly. I, I don't, I don't, yeah, that's a, so how does the economy work? Like, that's that's, a, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. It's like, we're, we're opening doors, but I, every time you open a door, it closes a really big one sometimes too. Right. You got to see what it's closing as well, for sure. Right. The other thing that I've been always really interested in as far as auto dealers is you guys are always super involved in the community and you have such a brand. Um, what kind of goes into you and your thought process when you're sponsoring stuff, when you're doing different branding operations or marketing things? Sure. Yeah. Um, so with, with, you know, community involvement, I'm a Subaru dealer and Subaru is like a helicopter parent and holds her hand through a lot of it. They make programs that are dead simple for us. We do a lot of right. stuff in, in, in addition to those programs. Like everybody, I mean, the big one is Share the Love where they donate uh, money for every every car that we sell in the month of uh, December and you know part of November also. Um, and they have these, these other events throughout the year. Like we just finished one up where we donated um, coats to a homeless shelter. It's kind of a homeless shelter here. It's the Hope Center. Or not the Hope Center, sorry, One Heart. And right. it was coats for kids. And then we had some leftover. So we took it to a uh, uh, McKinney Vento coat drop, which is in a school here. And McKinney Vento is a nationwide program that gets school supplies and clothing and things to children who don't have access to it. So right. that one was a good one where we donated like, I think it was 150 or 180 coats or something like that, which was really cool. Um, but as far as if, if a little, a kid in little league comes and asks me to donate, I'm probably going to do it. Um, especially, especially if it's the kid coming in and not just the parents. I mean, I always like that when the kids come in and, and, and talk and I just gave some money to one of the post uh, baseball teams, the, the smaller one post 320 here. Um, it was a, you know, a friend of mine's son is playing and he's like, Hey, can he come in and ask you if you want to sponsor? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And I expected both of them coming. It was just this one 16 year old kid. And I was like, this is great. He came and gave me, he gave me the hard pitch. He started at the top and then he worked his (laughs) way down. Uh, he didn't start it. Oh, you, you can do like a hundred bucks. He was started at the very top. And I was like, Hey, I appreciate that. But it is a big, it's a, it's always Sales, thing that car dealers <laughs> do where we're, we're involved in the community and it, you, you, you have to do it. I mean, a lot, in a lot of cases, the car dealership, especially in the smaller towns, that's the biggest business in that town. A lot of yeah. times and one of the bigger employers. So you have to support the community if you want them right. to support you. Um, it, it's a two-way street. I've always looked at it as I started back at the dealer when I first started working here it was 2008. Um, and that was one of the first things I started doing was our marketing. And I, I started to look at our budget for uh, giving back to the community as really part of my, my marketing budget instead of like yeah. some separate thing. It, it had to be right. part of the marketing budget um, because it's, it goes hand in hand. And then you, you can, you can, you can look at that as, you may not see direct, you know, you're not, Hey, right. come in attention. You can't track, you can't track that goodwill, no. but over time you do see the benefit of it. And it's just the right thing to do. I mean, well, well I just the, know like have the ability to help out. I feel like you should, and you know, yeah. We're telling people what to do with what, you know, their money and their time, but um, yeah, it, it is something you should do. Yeah. Well, I like know growing up in rapid city, I would always see, like I knew who the car dealers were as a little yeah. kid. I knew who the car dealers were. I played T-ball and all that little league and all that kind of stuff. And like, it's up there with like the uh, insurance jingles. Like you just, yeah. you know what the insurance jingles are uh-huh. and you know who the car dealerships are. And yeah. I attribute that kind of marketing to my, how I look at branding and how, like 
how I want to go about branding and building a brand. And you guys were a great role model for that. So I was just wondering yeah. like what your thought process is. So that's great. Well, and, and Subaru for Subaru in the auto industry is the king of branding marketing. That That's all right. they do. I, in, in November and December and, and part of January, they don't advertise cars, period. Like there's not a car on any of the nationwide advertisements. It's all just, hey, we're giving money to these, you know, these five charities. When you buy a car, you pick pick a charity, we'll give them money. If you want to give to all of them, we can split it amongst all of them. They don't, it's right. the last few years, there hasn't even been a car in the nationwide ad, which I think is really different from the way car manufacturers advertise during the holidays. I mean, you've got, I, there's always, the ones that always stand out are the Lexus ones where some guy surprises his wife with a Lexus for Christmas, which yep. in some years couldn't be more out of touch with, with the <laughs> way the economy and the way people actually feel, but it's a cool idea. I, right. I, know, I know my wife would be like, you did what? <laughs> no, yeah. no, don't do that. Um, but I, I, I do think brand, like you said, branding is, is important. But to go with your branding, you also have to back that up. So right. in my mind, branding has to be a very, it's a very genuine form of advertising. Because if you, if you brand one way, but you don't actually do that, I think, it comes, I think it's really easy, especially for as smart as consumers are now, it's really easy for them to pick that out and be like, that's not really what they think. They're just, no. you know, they're just playing off of, they're just playing off of what they think is going to get them the most traction. Right. Well, I always look at Red Bull. That's been my... yeah mo forever because they don't have a single can in their ads they've never had their product in their ads ever it's this is the lifestyle and subaru's done a really good job at going towards like the adventurers and the um like dog yep. community for the last few years subaru so. advertises dogs and emotional terrorism their ads try to make you cry <laughs> or they make you happy because you have a dog or do you want to go camp there's exactly <laughs> those are the three things do you want to put a topper on your subaru yeah you, you can do that rooftop tents hey <laughs> <laughs> They'll work. <laughs> uh, uh, is there a Subaru branded rooftop tent yet? Yes, there is. Oh, of course there is. Truly makes it. I've got one that's going to be put on an Outback Wilderness here, or Forester Wilderness <laughs> here pretty soon to go in my showroom. <laughs> oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. So what has kind of been your focus this year? So this year, I mean, for 2023, my focus was hang on and try and figure it out um, because it was a yeah. weird year. I, I don't. I don't, I can speak for myself. I can't speak for everyone else, but it felt it was 2023 was a really good year for us. Right. At the same time, every single month, it felt like the worst month ever. I don't know. I, I don't know what, what it was. Sales were fine. Uh, it just felt like we were holding on for dear life to something. And I couldn't ever put my finger on what was, what was making me feel that way. Cause the, all the, all the numbers bear out that it was a really good month. Um, right. So, you know, moving forward now, the focus is to try and figure out what, why it felt bad. I mean, you know, it's, it was hard last year to try to figure it out because you were having success, but I didn't feel like we were doing anything that was that special, unique to have a, a good year, but it all, it all right. worked out great. Um, you know, as far as the auto dealers association, the focus last year was writing the ship and make sure that everything is, uh, you know, make sure that we're not losing money and make sure that right. we can exist as an organization because I think it's starting to, I hope it stays in, in people's mind how important the association actually is because you right. look at some of these bills that are coming out and some things that are proposed at the federal level that we may be able to fight at the state level. If we don't have an association to fight that, we're just, we're stuck with whatever, whatever we get because the right. idea of, this, of a single dealership influencing anything on the national level is pretty small. I mean, you, yeah. you can, you, you also need to participate with the National Auto Dealers Association, but at a state level, there's a lot of things that we can do to make sure that our industry is, 
safe from weird laws that that may yeah. come out and strange things. I mean, we've seen. I mean, there's there's tons of them. I mean, we could throw out anecdotes yeah, right. today about what are the weird laws that 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 get proposed. There's constantly odd things. Well, it's so happen. much defense. Yeah, there's a lot of defense right. that people it's don't a, it's see. It's a lot of defense, and then you you mix in the offense of trying to make sure that your your um, franchise laws are stay friendly to dealerships because ultimately right. that's the whole point of of the uh, of the association is to make sure our franchise laws are protected and to make sure yeah. that this model that we have stays the the beneficial to us um yeah you know i i and i think there are factors that were every every month there's news news stories about how the the franchise system is under attack there was a good one last month the company vinfast they're an electric car company out of vietnam they right. announced that they're going to instead of going a direct consumer model like most electric car companies do they are going with a dealer franchise model when they enter the us and i think they've started taking applications they haven't yet they're going to soon so I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's a positive sign for right. the franchise model because it's a new a new entrant to the industry who's not defaulting to direct consumer model, which I think is it's a great sign. Yeah, um, that's that's awesome because they're looking at it that direction. Right. Because I think a lot of these electric car companies come from Silicon Valley and they're all tech companies that build right. a car, and so they're yeah. like, this is how tech companies sell tech products. Yep. So that's been the disconnect, I think. Um, yeah, and, and Tesla's obviously the easy one to pick on. They sell cars right. like like computers. They they yes. sell them like it's a phone. Like we we make the big splashy announcement. Like the Cybertruck is the perfect example. The big splashy announcement, the promise to the moon. Yeah, and then it takes forever to deliver on it because they're trying to live up to that promise. But it's really hard with a car to to promise something, and then you get out in the real world, and sometimes you're sometimes the equations that they run, especially for like efficiency the range of the batteries sometimes that, that doesn't bear out in the real world because there's a lot of variables there i, I don't well, know it, it comes it, down to manufacturing manufacturing is so yeah. incredibly hard for anybody especially on something that right. big yeah so it's like yeah we build the prototype and then we're like okay how do we build more of these though <laughs> how do we how do we build the half a million of these a year that we think we need <laughs> yeah exactly that's because yeah. what i what i also think of is what do you think about the um the hyundai partnership with amazon and where that's going <laughs> No, so it the initial reaction is to recoil in horror like every car. You're like, oh, what are they doing? But right. if you look at it, the dealers, the dealers are still controlling that sale. The pricing right. is still set by the dealers, the delivery is still set up by dealers. I'm more okay with that one after I look into it than I than I was at first glance, because at first glance, you're like, man, what are they, what are we doing? Right. But it's it it looks it's more like the Costco program that's been around forever that dealers can participate in, except this one's exclusive to, to Hyundai, but mm-hmm. where the dealer right. basically sets the price and, and, you know, Amazon shoppers get access to this, to cars. I, I don't know. It, it seems like, it seems like they're tiptoeing into something else, but yeah. I don't know that they're going to have the success that they want out of the program as it's laid out because it really, again, consumers are smarter than we give them credit for. A lot of times the first article i read where it was like the full thing and i'm reading through the comments and someone posted that like hey this is no different than buying the car from the dealership the the pricing is is set by the dealer which again if we listen to what customers actually want they want transparency in the pricing right i i I don't i don't don't know what to take from that other than you know there's tesla raises and lowers their prices also but people seem to not mind when it's the manufacturer doing it the the notion that a customer is going to pay less if it's direct to consumer is nonsense 
it's complete and utter nonsense. You'll, you'll pay MSRP is what would happen if, if every car, if every manufacturer suddenly tomorrow was like, hey, we're going to we're going to cut out the dealers. We're going to cut them out. We're just going to sell direct to consumer. The price is going to be the price. The price is MSRP. And we'll change that as we see necessary, depending on market conditions. Yeah. The thing that gets overlooked with the dealer model a lot of times is there's a break between those manufacturers and the end consumer. And that break is sometimes good because I care about my reputation where Subaru might not care about individual transactions. I can care about the small number of transactions compared to their total transactions. Um, I can care about those more because I don't have as many of them to worry about. Um, well, there wouldn't be any bartering anymore. Like you right. wouldn't be able to ne negotiate a price or no, different things from the dealer. It'd just be, this is the price, pay it. This is, yep, this is the price. And, and so if consumers are, if that's what they really want is transparency and pricing. I mean, one price model is what they want. And, you know, I don't think there's a ton of dealers that would hate necessarily hate that. The thing that we don't like is the manufacturer telling us how to run our business and how much to sell things for, which gets a little burdensome and tiresome. Um, well, like I, as I, a I consumer, it, it, it's hard, at, it's hard yeah. to try and parse out what consumers actually want there. I think they're complaining without knowing the full picture because the manufacturer would charge the MSRP. A dealer might charge less to try and sell more cars. That's right. the, the, the absolute truth. The manufacturers don't care necessarily about the individual person buying the car because they've already sold that car to the dealer. That car right. is already a sold unit. That's money in the bank for them. The only person holding the bag there is the dealer at the end until they sell. Yeah. It. Well, the way that I see it as a consumer is I would use Amazon or something like that to go and look and find a car that I'd want. And then I'd go to the dealer to go yeah. negotiate that price. Cause it's just like easier. It's, it'd be almost like a search tool, like Facebook yeah. or something else where it's yep. like, I don't know where cars are. Let me look where a bunch of cars right. are and find the best deal. That's usually the consumer thought process, I think. And, and I think, I think you're right on that. I think that's, I think that's the way it will be used is it's another search tool. It's another, you know, an, another good ID, Amazon has the, you know, has the web traffic to make that one of the better ones that is available. I mean, they're, uh, yeah, they're Amazon. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are the new mountain. It was, and still kind of is Google as far as giants that you can't you can go around but you can't climb that or move yeah. that mountain amazon's yep. now there for online shopping so yep. it's like uh, no matter what you do like it's hard to ignore their presence in yep. any market for sure so that's kind of been interesting yeah it'll be interesting to see how that bears out if that if that program stays the way it is i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing i think it's something that more manufacturers will jump into because like you said it is a really good way to access more shoppers yeah. And then the shoppers only have to go to one place, yep. which is kind of scary. But at the same time, it's, it's like, if they're there, use it. So, yeah. But how many dealers use auto trader or car gurus or cars.com or any of those? It's very right. similar to that type of uh, setup where you have, yeah. you know, the one place that people go to look for cars. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What are you kind of looking at as far as legislative session this year? And like, what are your focuses and what have you seen that has been kind of interesting to you? Um, I think, I don't know if it actually went anywhere. Christine was telling uh, talking about a, a bill that was basically banning the ban of gas-powered, it wasn't gas-powered vehicles, but gas-powered uh, engines. Yeah. So to ban the ban, I, I think we're getting a little in the weeds on some stuff. Um, I, yeah. don't think there's been any, <laughs> I don't think there's been any real 
major ones. I, this the seatbelt law has been one that I've been watching. The seatbelt, the seat, you know, not the seatbelt law, but the the ability to consider seatbelt usage to have seatbelt usage be admissible in the in a lawsuit type situation. I think that's right. a good one, but it seems yeah. like that one's dead now. Um, yep. I want to do yeah, this year and. There wasn't, there wasn't, from what I'm watching, there wasn't anything that seemed like super vital um, to the auto industry right. in a way. It seemed like there was a lot more focus on on things that were going to affect the trucking industry, which is yep. fairly typical um, because uh-huh. they have so much more, being being a uh, an agricultural state, there's a lot of things that the trucking industry gets thrown their way because they have so many yeah. things eating into that industry. Um, but I think, I think the focus... Is to just make sure none of the laws get anything that's weird thrown into them that'll affect you know the auto industry negatively or retail industry in general. Um, I mean that's the other one that we need to keep an eye on is is things that are important to retail in general. Um, right. I, it, it's kind of it's kind of broad, but but it does it does affect everybody. Right. So yep. Which which you're included in that everybody. So yeah yeah for sure. Are you gonna get any chance to make it down there this year? I don't know if I'm gonna get a chance to make it here this year. Hopefully next year. Um, next year I will. But you know, if something if something comes up and I need to be there, I'm gonna yeah. be there. Um, there you go. You know, if one of those weird things comes up, uh, I think it's important to to be to you know be visible um, and be there to uh, to make sure that our position on whatever whatever the subject is is known and, and is a known that it's important to us. Yeah. I just got the uh, running out of time notification. That's okay. (laughs) But uh, yeah, cool. Well, what makes like dealing in South Dakota or being a car dealer in South Dakota different from maybe another state? Um, Simplicity. So the the best example is I was, we were in my 20 group meeting and I'm sure, you know, most, most everybody that's going to listen to this is probably in a 20 group or has been in a 20 group. Yeah. It's a great, great thing to be in if you're a dealer. Um, we're in a 20 group meeting talking about pay plans and we started sharing pay plans for finance managers. Uh, uh, a dealer in California, their finance manager pay plan was seven pages long, seven pages, because they have so many strange things in there as far as like uh, break pay time, paid breaks as a finance manager, which is crazy. Um, it, yeah. It, the simplicity that South Dakota has, and, and it's, you know, for better or worse, everything takes a little longer to get here. Um, you, know, right. you know, technology, good things take longer, bad things do too, where, you know, all the, sometimes the crazy legislation that you see on either the East Coast or the West Coast, um, it has a chance to filter out before it gets here. And so you filter out that crazy, um, it seems like a, in a lot of cases, a lot of knee-jerk reactions where in South Dakota, we seem to be a little more patient with letting yeah. things letting things work out, um, see how it goes. If it's something that makes sense, then it makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to compare it because there's so many, there's so many States and every state is a little different. I know titling cars sometimes in, in Wisconsin is nightmarish. Right. Uh, we've sold a couple cars to people from Wisconsin. It's like, it's, it's Looney tunes. there. some of the things that they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting a hold of anybody getting, getting, somebody on the phone from some of the uh you know some of the dmvs across the country is very hard um because they're right. just, you know getting back to work now um yeah but no south Dakota is super easy for a lot of that stuff because everything is seems very 
sensible. Um, some things don't go as fast as you maybe want, but everything seems to move, which is good. Yeah. What What are you also seeing in as far as what Subaru is doing compared to like other car companies that you like, dislike? What kind of goes I, along with that? That's a, that's a really hard one too, because Subaru in general moves at a glacier like pace for things. Yeah. Um, I would have really liked to see them jump. I know bad electric cars, whatever. I would have liked to see them jump more into electric cars quicker. The car we have is a shared platform with Toyota. It's not a great electric car. It doesn't have a long range. It's not particularly exciting. I would have liked right. to see them jump further into that. But at the same time, I would have rather seen it jump in as hybrids. Um, I, I, think mm-hmm. the, I think the industry in general um, should lean more towards hybrids. I know uh, the chairman of Toyota, Akio Toyota or whatever, his, uh, he had some, some comments that he made a couple of days ago about how he feels the electric car market will top out at about 30% of the market, which I'm inclined to listen to what he has to say, not just because I agree with right. him, but because he seems pretty pragmatic in all of his analysis of it, because there, there are certain times where an electric car is not going to cut it. Um, my last yeah. 20 group meeting was in California. I, w- I got a, an Uber driver, I got a drive, driver to take me to the airport and he, he had a Honda and he's like, yeah, I've been looking at Tesla's, you know, uh, and I it was just chit chatting about where I'm from. He's like, are there a lot of electric cars we're at? I was like, not a ton. There's some, there's not a ton, but the infrastructure is not there. We don't, we don't have the infrastructure here that didn't necessarily support it. And then like last week, I think, um, especially those in Northern climate saw what the drawbacks are to electric cars in the winter that they don't charge, they can't charge as fast. Um, it's not that they don't, and they have less range. Obviously I think most people understand that they have less range in the winter, but if you have to wait longer to charge that has, it's like one airline, it's like one flight being delayed at a, at an airport, one flight that'll cascade through because it's, it's everything. There's dominoes there. And, and if right. you have one person that's got to, you know, this person's taking two hours to charge, the next one's going to take that long too. And it's just going to cascade through. So then you got charging stations full of dead cars that can't move um eh. subaru in general is super easy to work with on everything I, right. I, for manufacturers i'm very lucky because I, yeah. I know you know the ford dealers the stuff that they deal with i'm sure on the whole Ford Ford is okay but you know they make some bonehead decisions and really put dealers in an awkward place especially the last couple of years yeah um, and i think every manufacturer does that I think the best way I've heard Subaru described by other people that have multiple franchises is like Subaru is a helicopter parent. They, they want to be involved in everything you do. They're going to hold our hand through it. Um, sometimes it's very annoying yeah. uh, because I, I don't work for Subaru. I'm a franchise, but I don't work for them. So I, I want to be able to have some freedom in the way that I do things. But at the same time, they're not, they don't put a lot of crazy um, demands on us. Um, they've really they've really lightened up on facilities which is nice i mean they they, right i think like any manufacturer they have a certain idea of what they want their dealers to look like they're they've become more flexible which is important there's a couple more areas where they should be more flexible but they're also as a company they're dealing with immense growth over the last 10 years i mean they 10 years ago subaru was selling 200 to 300,000 cars nationwide now they're approaching 800,000 in, in yeah. that short time, even with some decline over the last couple of years because of supply chain issues, they were hurt really bad with supply chain problems. Um, they're, they're, 
trying to deal with that growth as best they can. So some of it's yeah. going to spill off into dealers having to do things that seem a little crazy, but overall, right. And compared to other manufacturers, I always, I always think I'm very, very lucky um, to, to have Subaru because it's just, yeah. I, I, I don't have to worry that our CEO is going to make some crazy asinine comment that we're going to have yeah. to try and like, deal with legally, let alone like right. just deal with at a dealership level. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, and being in the area, the Midwest that we are, like Subarus are huge. Like I, yeah. I know growing up that everybody's like, oh, there was like a Subaru in almost everybody's driveway. Yeah. So yeah. at least one. So yeah. it's they, they do really good. well. Yeah, I mean, here because they ideally they should just be dead simple. They they get decent yep. gas mileage. They do well in the snow and they're safe. That, that's basically what you want out of a car. If you look for a car as a mode of transportation, those are three things that should be at the top of your list. Especially if you live in an right. area where it snows, you just want to be able to go. You don't have to yep. worry about. It. Yep. Exactly. And and they do that for sure. But yeah, yeah thank you so much, Travis, for. Uh, joining me today and yeah thank you guys all for listening we will have more of these driveline podcasts out as we continue and we'll be reaching more into the trucking industry as well as the auto industry so yeah i'm your host trevor johnson thank you guys so much for listening and i will see you in the next one